Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. As the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. In today's Old Testament lesson reading, we hear words of promise from the prophet Jeremiah. Words about a new covenant and a new renewed relationship between God and God's people. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, found on page 721 in your pew Bible. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and and remember their sin no more. Friends, know this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reformation Sunday. It's a Sunday that many in the Lutheran and Reformed tradition will recognize. um, Kind of commemorating the beginning of the Reformation when Martin Luther posted those 95 theses back in on October 31st, 1517. You recall two years ago uh, in 2017, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation by joining in combined worship with First English Lutheran next door. We don't have quite that thing going on today, but you will notice the hymn choices and the scripture choices all relate directly to uh, the Reformation theme. These scriptures are the lectionary scriptures for this uh, particular observance. Give thanks for the reading from Jeremiah, which accents this relationship with God, as Carl underscored. Likewise, our reading from the Gospel of John 8, verses 31 to 36, underscores the relational aspect we have. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In late May of this past year, I spent four days in Woodstock, New York with two good friends from my childhood and and teenage years growing up. 
Because of the nature of our lives and our work, I called each of them over a year in advance of those four days we would share together. I said it's been forever since we've seen one another. What do you think about finding four days to spend together maybe at some point during my sabbatical? And because it was over a year out when I called, both of them thought the idea could probably work. One would come from Boston, one from D.C., me from Richmond. And for four days, we shared a cabin, we cooked meals, we learned a very little about fly fishing, we hiked together, we discussed three books that we'd read ahead of our coming together. But really, the cooking and the learning and the hiking and the discussing, they were all conduits for the simple gift of friendship. To be shared. Do you have a person like that or two or three with whom the friendship reaches back decades? They knew you in some of the most formative times, seasons, years. And and so really it takes almost no time at all to fall right back into these wonderful spaces of trust and connection, laughter and tears. These relationships are such gifts full of that freedom that vulnerability. And as we packed our bags on the final day, the thing that blew me away was here on one side of me was my successful orthopedic surgeon friend saying, you know, this this is the best thing I've done all year. Thank you. And then on the other side of me, this successful professor friend of mine saying, "I, I needed this. Thank you. And then me reflecting on how how full my soul felt, even as I noted this tinge of lament within. And it came from this thought. This took us 20 years to think to put together. It took over a year's notice for us to find enough space and time in our calendars for it to even work. How is it we can get going on so many important and even successful things in life and then lose sight of the very gifts that fuel one's being? Why is it that that, that something as nourishing and life-giving as friendship can so easily be put off or overlooked or, or, or near forgotten amidst all the other pressing things? In our passage this morning, Jesus is calling a group of people back to an ongoing relationship, a friendship even, with him. Because for some reason or another, that priority that fuels and graces everything, it has been put off or overlooked or perhaps near forgotten. Jesus, you heard, he begins speaking to these Jews who do believe in him. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you continue... In my word. Uh, the Greek is menos. It it's, shows up 40 some other times in the Gospel of John. It's almost always translated abide or remain. If you remain in my word. And as some of you may recall, John at the outset of his Gospel makes it clear that Jesus himself is the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so in essence what Jesus is saying, if you remain in me. If you abide in me, if you continue in me, these are relational words. They are about prioritizing a living, dynamic connection with Jesus. And if one remains, abides, continues in Jesus, the promise is truth and the truth shall set you free. Oppositely, though, 
The implication is that if you're not remaining, abiding, continuing in Jesus, if that relationship is not nurtured or prioritized, then by definition one is not free, enslaved. And the Jews who believe in Jesus, they absolutely pick up on the implication. You heard them say, well, we're descendants of Abraham. We, we've never been slaves to anyone. What, what do you mean you will be free? We're God's chosen people. We are free. And yet Jesus presses on. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's helpful to know how sin gets defined in the Gospel of John. One commentator helpfully summarizes it this way. To commit sin in the Gospel of John is to abandon the relationship with Jesus or be out of relationship with Jesus. Committing sin in the Gospel of John is is not about certain specific failings or actions or inactions. Committing sins is about breaching or, or not having a vital connection to the source of all life. Who is Jesus? Somehow, some way, this group of believers before Jesus has let that priority slip or fade or get discarded. And Jesus is clear on the diagnosis then. You are enslaved. And that's a stark diagnosis. Perhaps what these believers have done is foolish, unfortunate. They need to change some things. But, but enslaved. Many of you may remember Joan Gray, who visited with us back in 2014, she wrote that book, Sailboat Church, that a number of us read in that season of life together. And she compares a church that that forgets or overlooks their relationship to Jesus uh, to a rowboat. The rowboat congregation, Gray remarks in her book, believes and acts as if progress depends on its own strength, its own wisdom, its own resources. It's all about how hard and long and well people are Willing to row. Essentially, the rowboat church moves forward on self-generated power. If more needs to happen, something needs to change, things need to get better or bigger, time to work longer, time to work harder, time to recruit better. Rowboat churches, she writes, may often very well confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Hey, we're people of Abraham. But in practice, rowboat churches do what she calls a functional atheism. There, there can be this basic disconnect from any real relationship with God, that, and from that stems this unspoken belief that since God's not really active or present or connected or doing anything, we need to get this thing moving with our strength, our resources, our know-how. And though it may be seemingly good things rowboat churches move forward with or good names under which we row, Abraham's descendants... Jesus says that if it's done apart from him or without any genuine connection to him and his leading and his power, it's all actually an expression of slavery itself. Or or actually, Jesus is pretty stark later in the Gospel of John where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Though you may be doing much and rowing actually quite vigorously and exhausted in your holy efforts, if it's without me, it's nothing of enduring significance or kingdom work. By contrast, you may recall, Gray reminds us one of the symbols of the early church for the church was was a sailboat. It was an image that gave expression to the fact that the most faithful way of moving forward and growing as a follower of Jesus is by raising a sail 
in attending to a wind, a power not your own. As Jesus puts it earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We have no control over where and, and when and to what extent the wind blows. What we know is that the wind, who is the spirit of the risen Jesus Christ, is always faithful and always moving. And while a sailboat church cannot free itself unto motion, what might happen if their hearts unfurled like waiting sails? Good sailing's not so much about brute strength, but attentiveness to the faithful wind. An eagerness to receive the wind, which then takes it the, the boat further and, and farther than they could really have ever generated or imagined on their own. And perhaps in directions they really would never have imagined had they judged the possibilities based solely on where we could get from a rowing vantage point. Continue in me. Abide in me. Remain in me. It's a call most fundamentally to sail. An invitation to hearts to unfurl unto an ongoing relationship with the Spirit of God who is ever faithful. When is the last time you recall the risen Christ moving? The last time you recall a breath of gracious movement upon your life, our life, or, or, or perhaps the last time you remember the billows of the sail so full, so fast, all you could do really do was kind of hold on because you know for sure you were not leading this direction or this pace. This was a power beyond you. Or do we find a lot of our motion recently generated by rowing? Grinding as far and long and hard as we can on our resources, our muscles, our insights. And is it possible that if we have little or a diminished or no relationship with the living wind, that some or much or even all of our motion is an expression of slavery to ourselves or our ways or our preferences? Might even the horizons of our vision for where we're going and what is possible, might even those be captive if we're only ever looking from the vantage point of where a rowboat can get us. It's an uncomfortable thought and yet one of the most striking insights that the Reformation confronted about the church was the fact that from time to time it is actually the church, it is God's people of all people who let Jesus get lost or overlooked or forgotten amid the, any number of bureaucratic functions or religious obligations. Joan Gray goes on in her book at one point to say, if you want to know whether a congregation is, is living as a sailboat or a rowboat, ask about its practice of prayer. Sailboat churches make nurturing a relationship with Jesus Christ a top priority. So I was going through some old photos the other day, and I found a picture of this whiteboard at Boaz and Ruth over on the north side where we had a session retreat in the fall of 2013. The session had spent some time that day working on priorities and strategies and all the rest for the coming year. In this whiteboard, it's filled with all these bullet points and questions and ideas and new insights. 
And do you know what the very first bullet point said? The top bullet point? The top desire of the leadership that day? Prayer, colon, learning how to pray. And then at the officer retreat just last month, I have a picture of another whiteboard filled with reflections, insights, ideas, wide-ranging, creative, thoughtful. And, and those were generated after the officers took some of the morning to pray through the Lord's Prayer and, and then did a, about a 40-minute prayer walk around the church property and neighborhood. And do you know what one of the underscored highlights on that whiteboard photo is? Growing in prayer. And I find no problem at all that the same priority would be named in 2013 as in 2019 because we never grow beyond prayer. Uh, Much like many of our relationships of significance, we all know actually how easy it is to take those for granted or overlook them or near forget them. I actually find it immensely encouraging that the leadership six years ago and the leadership this past month both readily name a desire to avoid our ever-present temptation to row and actually ache instead to practice whatever it means to slow long enough to notice and receive the unpredictable wind of life wherever he may be leading. Prayer is an ongoing, central way through which we know an abiding unto freedom. And by the way, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, Holy Spirit, help me, help me drop these oars and, 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 and lean afresh into prayer. I don't even know where to start. You may recall a few weeks ago in worship, Jesus taught how to pray. How to pray. He gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. This, this basic, central template we can always go back to, to lean afresh into an abiding And then let me name one more practice by which we can continue in, remain in, abide in Jesus as he does so us. On this Reformation Sunday, I'm mindful of Augustine, the great 4th century Roman African theologian whose theological work greatly influenced the church reformers of the 16th century. And one of the things Augustine wrote considerably about is friendship. He reflects that friends are channels of God's grace because it's through them that God watches over us, blesses us, provides for us, guides us, supports us, and loves us. How often friendship is the conduit of Holy Spirit wind that comes into our life with a freshness, a vitality, even a direction we did not know or see coming except by the grace of God's wind through that friend. In fact, Jesus makes clear just a bit later in the Gospel of John, friendship is really one of the most basic ways he understands his relationship with us. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And and I've called you friends. And indeed, Jesus remains in friendship with us, despite even our sin and our betrayal, going all the way to laying down his life for us. Friendship is the name Jesus gives to his ongoing abiding in us and for us and with us to do his good and forgiving work. Is it any surprising then that one of the fundamental ways we ourselves know the fresh wind of Jesus' movements is by friendship with God in prayer and friendship with God through God's spirit in friends. 
if you remain in me. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to help us drop the oars and unfurl our hearts anew that the word might catch? Might space for prayer or even friendship be central expressions of our sailing, our sails unfurling? Whatever it looks like, we are assured freedom is the ultimate promise offered to those who remain in Jesus as he remains in us. Because for his part, regardless of what we do, Jesus is clear. He has called us friends. He abides in us, with us, and for us now and forevermore. Thanks be to God for the faithful wind in our midst. Amen.